WFBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply the portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. God will not violate the will of an individual. And you can harden your heart so much that God will not penetrate. God will not get through because he will not violate your will. There's an old story about two lines that were forming at the pearly gates. A man arrived and read the signs posted for each line. One sign said, free will. The other sign said, God's sovereignty. The man wasn't quite sure which line to join, but he finally decided to get into the God's sovereignty line. Someone in that line then asked him why he was there. He responded that he just decided to get in that line. Well, they said, well, if you decided for yourself, you need to get into the free will line. So the man went to the free will line, and somebody there asked him why he was in their line. Well, he said, I got in the other line, and someone told me to get into this line. One of the people in the free will line then said to him, this is the free will line. You have to choose this line. You need to get back into the sovereignty line. It can be hard to simultaneously understand that God is sovereign, and yet he gives us free will to decide for ourselves who Christ is. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. It was in 1982 that Pastor Steve was preaching through the Gospel of John. In chapter 10, Jesus made some huge claims. One of the biggest and most wonderful was that he gives eternal life to his sheep, and they shall never perish. Pastor Steve normally preaches one verse at a time through a whole book, which is how we got the name for this program. But when he came to this chapter, he just had to stop and deal in more depth with what Jesus said. Even though Jesus said his sheep would never perish, that he would never forsake us, and Paul said in Romans 8 that nothing ever created can separate us from the love of God, many conservative evangelicals strongly believe that salvation can be lost. One passage that might be the most often used to support that doctrine is in Hebrews chapter 6. It says in part, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Some Bible teachers hold that those who have fallen away have fallen away from salvation. Well, if that's true then what can we do with Jesus and Paul said with such clarity? Many scholars fit these verses in Hebrews with the rest of Scripture with a reasoning called reducto ad absurdum. It's like saying one can lose salvation when pigs fly. You can't lose salvation any more than you can regain it by re-crucifying Jesus. Well, that explanation does make a lot of sense. Uh, but what if we understood this passage to refer to unsaved people who have been so enlightened by the Holy Spirit that they fully understand the gospel, yet they still reject it? They have become so calloused that they have reached the point of no return. Here's Pastor Steve to continue our study of these difficult verses. What does that mean that, that I said constant exposure to the, to the gospel and God's word without accepting Christ brings a callousness to spiritual truth? There's a hardness and a numbness that sets in that will not be penetrated, cannot be penetrated. There's an old saying that says, the same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. Someone has said this, unlike a knife, truth becomes sharper with use. For, uh, which, for truth, 
comes by acceptance and obedience. A truth that is heard but is not accepted and followed becomes dull and it becomes meaningless. The more we neglect it, the more immune we become. That's what was happening to these, these people. They were becoming immune to it. It didn't have an effect on them anymore. And I think these Jews are first century illustrations of what Jesus was, was teaching, what he was illustrating in the parable of the sower. I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. This has been confusing for some, but it, it really doesn't need to be. Jesus gave the parable of a sower who went out to sow some seed. Now, the seed is God's word. That's very clear. In fact, we don't have time to go into this, but Jesus explained what this parable was all about, so we don't even have a difficult time interpreting it. The sower is the one who shares the word, right? All of us. The one who goes out and spreads the seed. What is the soil? It represents human hearts. And just as there are different kinds of soil, so there are different kinds of of human hearts and, and human responses to the word of God, which is sown amongst them. Look at Matthew 13, verse 5 and 6. He says, others, that is the seed, fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now, Jesus went on to explain this to his disciples. And in verse 20 and 21, you'll see his interpretation of what he was saying. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Did he receive it with joy? That's what Jesus said. Was he excited about the word? Yes. Had he really received Christ? No. No, he hadn't. This person has a shallow heart. He appears to receive the word. And in a sense, he does. But you know what? It's only mental. That's all it is. It's only mental assent. Mentally, he's excited about it. He's never heard anything as beautiful as the gospel. You know, I've seen people like that. They walk an aisle. There are tears in their eyes. They, they are excited about being in a healthy local church. They have heard God's people sing his praises They have perhaps for the first time heard the gospel. For the first time, maybe it makes sense to them. They are excited about it. They are emotionally drained about it. They pray with a counselor, but they really don't accept Christ. Now, some who may have that experience do accept Christ. That's not the issue of how emotional you get or how non-emotional you get. The issue is that there are real people like that today. They mentally receive the word, and they are joyful about it. They maybe even witness about it. But it isn't rooted in their hearts. And when persecution comes, that's what Jesus said, when the sun comes up, it scorches them. When it gets hot in the kitchen, they want to leave. They want to leave. When it costs something to be a Christian, you see that they really fall away because they really weren't Christians. Nobody's, I mean, it's hard enough to take persecution when you're a believer. You're not going to take persecution when you're not a believer. They go on for a while until they see that their Christianity makes some demands upon them. And I believe there's a lot of people in churches who have never really received Christ. They've never repented. They've never forsaken their sin. They just said, sure, I'll receive the gift with kind of a flippancy in their heart. And those people are never saved. They've never been saved. And when persecution comes, it's obvious that they aren't true Christians because... Whenever their testimony for Christ costs something like popularity, a job, money, 
fame, acceptance by people, when it boils down to will I take a stand and it'll cost me something, they say, no, I'm not going to take a stand and it's not going to cost me anything. I'm getting out of here. And they fall away. Fall away from salvation? No, not at all. They fall away from their false profession. Persecution for their faith exposes them at those, uh, as those whose faith isn't genuine. I think that the Jews of the, of the, that the writer to the Hebrews is dealing with were just like that. They had been stirred. They had been moved. They had seen how wonderful this is. And they had come out of Judaism in the sense of, of being raised in Judaism. And they saw that Christ is the fulfillment of all the pictures in the Old Testament. And they were thrilled with this. Messiah has come. But they couldn't handle being ostracized by their fellow Jewish kinsmen. And they were in danger of departing completely. They were going backwards, not forwards. So what's the solution to their spiritual condition? That's their condition. Unsaved, dull of hearing, in danger of going too far to the point of no return. What's the solution to this spiritual condition? Solution, obviously, is be saved. Be saved. And that's why the writer says in chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, now the therefore is, is based on what he said, therefore, this is the solution. Leaving the elementary teaching about it should be the Messiah. Leave messianic teaching. Would a teacher ever tell believers to leave the elementary teachings about Christ, to leave New Testament gospel basic truth? No, we always have to come back to that. But we would say leave messianic prophecy alone. Forget Old Testament truth in the sense that, that it, it points you to Christ. And we're not saying forget Old Testament, but forget the truth that, that you were just in, in the sense that, that you didn't know that Christ was a fulfillment of that. Leave the picture books. Leave where you are and go on. Come on to maturity. Let us press on to maturity. And, and I told you last time that the word maturity in the, in the book of Hebrews is always used for salvation. In other places, I don't want to mislead you, in other places in the New Testament, it is not used in that way, and you must check the context. Sometimes it's used for simply Christian maturity. In fact, Paul uses that in, in his letters, for Christian maturity. But here it's not used for that. It, it means completion. It's a Greek word, teleos, which means to come to an end, completion. Finish, part. He's saying, come to salvation, come to Christ. You've come right to the edge of salvation. You don't stop short here. Come on a little bit further and come to Christ. And then he goes on and he, and he says what they are to leave, not laying again a foundation of repentance and so forth. That's all Old Testament truth. That's all Old Testament truth. I told you last week, we don't just preach repentance from dead works. We preach repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't just speak of faith towards God. We don't tell people just believe in God. Almost everybody just believes in God. That's Old Testament of instruction about washings. That's ceremonial cleansings, laying on of hands. That's the identification with the lamb sacrifice, the resurrection of the dead. Now, that's in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, that, they had just vague information about that. They didn't have complete information. Same thing about eternal judgment. We have so much more about eternal judgment than the Old Testament did. And then the writer says in verse 3, And this we shall do if God permits. That's a difficult verse. Now, let me say this. If he was dealing with believers here, and the issue is only spiritual maturity, would God ever not permit a believer to go on to maturity? Never. 
Is it God's will that every believer go on to maturity? Absolutely. Would the writer ever say we'll do this if God permits? In the sense that God may not permit a believer to enter spiritual maturity? Never. But God in his sovereignty will not permit some to be saved. It's not God's fault. God will not violate the will of an individual. And you can harden your heart so much that God will not penetrate. God will not get through because he will not violate your will. There reaches a point in a person's life where if he's been continually exposed to much truth without responding to that truth, he's in danger of being unable to respond because his heart is so cold and callous to the truth. In other words, there reaches a point where salvation is impossible. God will not reverse a man's heart. If you don't cooperate, and I don't understand this in the divine mystery of of God's sovereignty, where God is absolutely sovereign, yet men must cooperate with his sovereignty, I don't understand that, but there reaches a point where a man will not cooperate and is even unable to cooperate, and God will not violate a man or a woman's will. And yes, there are times where God will not permit the salvation of a soul, a soul who has so hardened his heart that God will not go beyond and, and completely change his will because a man must respond to the word of God. It is a cooperation. God will not violate your will, nor will he violate my will. He will work in our hearts to change our wills, but if we're not responsive to that, he won't violate it. He sovereignly works in your heart to bring you to the point of salvation, but he will never force you to do something against your own will. There's a cooperation that's involved. Now, the sobering thought, as I was studying this this week, sobering thought is that there may be some of you here, within the sounds of my voice, who are in that situation. In this exact situation, or you may not be in the situation, but getting very close to it, Your heart may be so cold and callous that God will not permit you to be saved. Or you're getting close to that point. You say, well, where is it? I don't know exactly for every person because these are internal workings of the Spirit of God in your heart. But if it's raised in Hebrews 6, then it's going to be in people today. There may be some of you who are just like that. You've been raised in a Christian home, perhaps, and you've had it up to here with the Bible. Ever since you can remember, that's Bible, Bible, Bible. All the time, family devotions, Sunday school, boys and girls clubs. Your your parents are always talking about this. I mean, you hear it on the radio. They've got Keswick all day long. And you're just sick of it. You don't want it anymore. You're just fed up with it. You've heard it so long without responding to it that... When you hear it, it just so turns you off that it it makes you spiritually nauseous. Or maybe it it doesn't even sicken you. It just doesn't mean anything to you. You daydream all the time. You're numb to spiritual truth. You're fed up. Or you see this with many students who are in a Christian school. They have chapel. They have devotions. they They have the word in their textbooks. Their teachers are always speaking about the word. And the last thing you want to hear when you come to church is some guy get up and preach to you. I mean, you get preached to all week long by people. You don't want to hear a sermon in church. You just completely turns off by it all. You've heard it so long without responding to it that it means absolutely nothing to you. In fact, it really bothers you to hear the word. 
you're just sick of it. You much prefer getting out of here. I mean, you, you probably are, you know, just looking at your watch all the time. Don't look at your watch, no. That's insane. You just want to get out of here as soon. I mean, when he says amen, you want to rush out the door. It's, it's just something you do to please your parents or, or something you do to simply appease your conscience. If you're in that situation, then, my friend, you are in danger of reaching a point where it is impossible to renew you again to repentance. If there is any tenderness in your heart, then you need to come to Christ today. In fact, that's why the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3, Today, if you hear his word, harden not your heart. Don't harden it anymore because there may not be a time where you can receive him. Now, people think that they can come to Christ anytime they want. That's not true. That is not true. When the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart and drawing you to himself, you come then. That's why the writer says, today... If you hear his heart, don't harden your heart. Because if you listen to your heart, you will depart from the living God. Your evil, wicked heart will lead you in the opposite direction. So what's the spiritual consequences of this? And I've been saying this all along, but let's probe into this. The spiritual consequences, and that's verses 4 through 6. He says, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, And then have fallen away. If you have all of this, and then you've fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God, they put him to open shame. Not only does God not permit salvation to some who have so hardened their hearts, but it becomes literally impossible to renew them again to repentance. Impossible. These verses describe a person who rejects Jesus Christ at, listen, the highest level of knowledge and conviction and understanding, the highest level. They have everything they need to to receive him. And if he doesn't accept Christ at this level, then he certainly won't accept him at a lower level, right? If he doesn't accept him when the Spirit of God is so moving in his life at such a high level of intensity, then at a lower level, at a lesser level, he's not going to. Let's examine the level of knowledge and awareness and conviction that they had, because some of you may have had the same thing, or you may be nearing that point, and I want you to see it's a dangerous thing. These warnings are serious. They've once been enlightened. What does that mean? The light of the gospel had broken upon their minds. That's the work of the Spirit of God in illuminating our minds so that we might understand the meaning of the gospel. Unless he gives us an understanding, we won't understand it. In fact, it, is so, it was so clear and sharp in their mental perception that they didn't need this enlightenment to take place anymore because the word, the Greek word for once, doesn't mean just once in the past. It means once and for all. Once and for all, they had an enlightenment. In other words, the work of the Spirit of God was so thorough in illuminating their understanding of the message of salvation that it never needed to be repeated in order to make the the truth clear to them. It was crystal clear. They had the clearness and the sharpness at one time to understand what the gospel was all about. They had once been enlightened. Now, some people don't understand the gospel, and we need to explain it to them, and the Spirit of God needs to give them understanding. There are, there are some who think that every time the gospel is presented that people are just going to fall down and, and come to know the Lord. That's not true. The Spirit of God works behind the scenes and in a person's heart to give understanding to the gospel and bring conviction. It isn't just the word. It's the Spirit of God taking the word and opening their heart to the gospel. That's what happened with them, but they still didn't respond. It says, the writer says, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. These people actually had a personal experience with the heavenly gift. 
They didn't just take a sip or a sample, as John Calvin said. John Calvin said that all oh, taste means, means they sipped it. They didn't really drink of it. As much as I respect John Calvin, that is not what it means. The Greek uh, expression for tasted means experienced. Just as when Jesus died on the cross, he tasted death for every man. It means experienced. Now, what is the heavenly gift? That's really the key. What's the heavenly gift? Uh, Some say it's referring to the Spirit of God. I don't think so. Not in this context. In other places, the Spirit of God is called uh, a gift, a gift from heaven. But he's mentioned in the next next, uh, part, the next expression. I think he's referring to the blessings of salvation that that come with, with the Lord Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of all the prophecy. In fact, as you look through Hebrews, you see the contrast between heavenly and earthly. The earthly is, is the earthly priest, Levi, uh, the, the Levitical priesthood. The heavenly is Christ. There's an earthly tabernacle. There's a heavenly tabernacle. So what is, what is the contrast here? The contrast is, is earthly and heavenly. And the heavenly gift, I take it, refers to the blessings that come with salvation that's brought by the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. And I take it that when he says they've tasted of the heavenly gift, that it means, that the writer means to tell us that these people had entered into an understanding, an appreciation, and actually had benefited personally, experienced personally, uh, the glorious truths of the fulfillment of the old covenant in the person and work of Christ. In other words, these people had witnessed the glories of messianic fulfillment in Christ. And because of their association with the message of Christ and the people of Christ, the true Christians, they had actually experienced a certain appreciation for the blessings that accompany salvation. I don't think they experienced salvation or that would make them saved, but I think they, they had a taste of it. They experienced the blessings that come with that. And I can relate to this. In fact, I think that, that one of the works, one of the pre-salvation works of the Holy Spirit is to give non-believers a, a taste, an experience of what salvation is all about. I can look back on my own life and see that uh, before I came to know the Lord, by my association with the Word of God, by my association with the people of God, by, by being with them, by observing them, uh, there was a taste of salvation. I didn't have salvation, but I was excited about it. In fact, I, I started witnessing before I even knew the Lord. I started telling people about it. I was so excited about Christ, and I really think that I had become one who had tasted of the heavenly gift. I, I actually knew the blessings. I had an appreciation for the blessings that, that accompany salvation, though I did not have salvation. And I think that's what he's saying here. In fact, I think in the parable that Jesus gave of the sower in Matthew 13 that we just looked at, don't you think that person who had received the word only mentally could say that, that there was a joy there, that, that he had tasted of the heavenly gift, but he wasn't saved, but he had a taste of it. And these Jews, I take it, were like that. They entered into an appreciation of salvation. They knew it so well, we could say, that they even tasted it. That sounds like what people sometimes say when they almost, but not quite, reach their objective. I was so close I could taste it. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in the Clearwater area some Sunday and need a place to worship, I hope you'll stop by. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. You can get more details at www.lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. 
Let me take a moment to remind you of an offer we sometimes speak of. It's especially for our visually impaired listeners. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you'd like a free audio Bible for your player, call 800-838-3924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That number again is 800-838-3924. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson, and before I wrap things up for today, I'd like to pause to thank those of you whose generous and sometimes sacrificial giving provides the funding necessary to keep these radio Bible classes on the radio. If you do not give to Verse by Verse, but you're thinking about it, we hope that you also will continue to fully support your own church. Find out more about giving to Verse by Verse at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click the Giving tab near the top of the page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Saying no gets easier with practice. And for people-pleasers, that can be a good thing. It helps protect us from being taken advantage of. But when it comes to the gospel, saying no might end up being the first step on a slippery slope to the edge of the abyss. H. 